Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Slipmat, and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast hosted by me, the Managing Editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're all missing that sense of community that the dance floor can bring us, so we at House Culture are absolutely delighted to be able to bring a little bit of the club directly into your world. This is the first time you've tuned into the podcast. First of all, welcome. And second of all, please make sure you get some dusty digital fingertips by digging through our back catalogue of episodes that feature interviews with the likes of Norman Cook, aka Fatboy Slim, Danny Rampling, Mark Archer, Shades of Rhythm, Harry Romero and many more. Even if there is a name you don't recognise, I guarantee you that they have an interesting story to tell. And if you've only just stumbled across house culture and want to get to know us a little better, as I always say, we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is where the party happens. You can find us there at houseculture.net. Follow that and you'll get a daily dose of all things related to this scene we know and love. Let's get on with this next episode, shall we? In this one... We chat to a hardcore hero of mine and a man known to the world as the godfather of rave. It's the one and only Slipmat. In this chat, you'll hear about the DJ that inspired him to get behind the decks for the first time. I remember going to a club to see Simon Harris doing it live. I can remember standing there by the side of the decks just watching what he was doing and he was playing all these soul tracks and mixing acapellas over the top. I was just fascinated by it. Packed club with a really good atmosphere and stuff. I was like, oh me <laughs> gotta be doing this the story behind the creation of one of the biggest crossover hardcore anthems of all time we knew what type of tune we wanted to do and there was one i think it was a yellow man live thing and he did this a a a a a a a sort of sort of lyric it's like right we've got to find something like that you'll also get Slipmat's view on which era represents the true old school i've been playing the old school stuff since day dot and i've never really stopped that 90 to 92 era must have just been so powerful because it's still there when someone ever talks about you know the 90s it's always around that two or three years and how after nearly four decades in the scene 
he remains at the top of his game. I've gradually started playing more and more new stuff. It's happened naturally, really, playing out, even in the old school sets. So now I'm playing pretty much all new stuff and slipping in a few old bits here and there. So I hope you're prepared to let this DJ take control. This is Slipmat. House culture. Right. I'm extremely excited for this as I'm in Essex and sat opposite me right now is an absolute legend of the old school scene, the godfather of rave himself. It's Slipmat. Thanks so much for sitting down with us at House Culture. It's about time we really start to investigate this era and area of the scene. So can you tell us how you first discovered music? Oh, wow. That goes way, way back, actually, discovering music. I mean, I've been music through and through since since before I can remember because my my mum always tells me the story of playing records when I was about 18 months basically we had this old um, sort of box mono record player with a big lid on it really old fashioned ones and I used to pick up the tunes and and put them on it was like an automatic sort of player so you used to sort of load up the tunes on top of a long spindle and then sort of flick the automatic button I used to love playing records even at that age no way and I got my I was actually given my first record. A neighbour down the road, quite a way down the road, actually um, had heard, oh yeah, the boy up the road, Matthew, he apparently plays records and he's into music and he's only really young. And he actually gave me a tune. And I remember, I actually remember taking that off of him, sitting in a pram, my mum wheeling me up the road. So I must have only been really young. It's a really unusually young sort of memory. Yeah. And he gave me this um, seven-inch record. It was actually... <laughs> It's actually a, like an old country dancing record, or so it wasn't the fact of what was on it. Yeah, it was just he wanted to give just me a, a physical record. thing. Yeah, but I do. I can actually remember um, sitting in the pram taking it off him. So that must be one of my oh, wow. earliest ever memories, and yeah. that was that was involving vinyl. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so where I, was it you grew up then? So I grew up in Loughton. Yeah, um, which was sort of it's council estate, sort of on the edge of the Debden sort of council estate in Loughton but it was quite quite a nice area no, yeah. nothing wrong with council estates in general anyway I like the, like the fact that I grew up in Loughton it was good yeah. nice area bit of both really bit of everything there sort of some um, lots of people from that have moved out of East London settled there including my mum and dad moved yeah. there two or three years before I was born had a really nice side to it really sort of quite a posh side to, to it as well so we were sort of lucky to to experience sort of all sides of life really there and um, as you got a bit older you know obviously you were well into from that 18 months age playing around with vinyl and things I like that I was scratching it free and I was doubling <laughs> out at four so uh, was there a point where um, you can remember hearing something on the radio and you were like wow I really like what I'm hearing um, if it was a particular tune I bought my first tune when I was four wow which was 1971 yeah um, what was that which was Claude Rogers Jack in a Box or something like that yeah it was, it was Jack in a Box Again, kind of a crap tune, but <laughs> but you know, four years old. Can't judge me on that. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the ones. I, you know, Sunday night I'd be there recording the the um, top forty or yeah. top twenty, whatever it was back then, um, on a tape. Pulls when the when the DJ started saying what was what, and I'm trying to think. I was very much into. Also, I'd be mum and dad's records there to play, so I used to li- listen to a lot of the Beatles. Used mm-hmm. to listen to a bit of Elvis as well, just whatever was around. A lot of sixties music. Obviously, actually, I was born in the sixties, so. Yeah. And then I remember getting to 
about 10 years old and I can remember being in school and writing I Love Soul Music on my desk, scribing okay. it in. So from a, from about 10 years old, I sort of started getting into the more dancey side yeah. of music. And even having such a taste at understanding your taste in music at that age that's really still quite young yes yes yeah, so it wasn't just pop music it wasn't yeah. just you know what what was out there yeah it was um yeah i actually had a proper sort of taste in i suppose being so it was yeah slightly more niche rather than mainstream yeah yeah and so it, that was kind of the dance music of that era as well and like if you had the your parents records you'd have that f- that feeling in your hands of the vinyl the sleeves all the notes oh. inside oh. <laughs> <laughs> and disco music as well I suppose so yeah. disco was 77 yeah 76 77 78 so 77 I would have been 10 yeah um, very much into the disco so yeah I bought my first 12 inch import 12 inch single in I think it was 77 or 78 Sylvester yeah you make me feel which was a, one of the biggest disco yeah, tracks but that was on import yeah. as well yeah yeah so even then I was trendy <laughs> so where were you getting imports from at that age uh, i went up to bond street yeah hmv in bond street yeah back in the day 10 years old just get a red bus rover go around london specifically to buy records yeah uh, that and cause a bit of trouble <laughs> <laughs> nothing serious but no that that and just sort of you know run a bit of a muck yeah go and buy 10 fags and jump on the bus and <laughs> smoke them all before we got home <laughs> And I mean, amongst your peers at school, you were were there other people who were really into their music at that age? Not in the juniors, really. But then, as the story unfolds, when I got into the senior senior school, I met Lime John, yeah, DJ Lime. So yeah. he we were in the same class together. <clears throat> I think it was right from the beginning. I, I think I think it was right from the first year, if not the second year. But then we naturally sort of gelled together. Yeah, um, his love of music i think it, back then it would have been he was actually into um what do you call it futuristic stuff like depeche mode human league and specifically depeche mode yeah he used to have a right stupid haircut as well he used to have a big fringe that stuck out and a bit out the back i suppose it wasn't stupid at the time. <laughs> we, we, all, we did take we did used to take the piss out of him and then he got into the like the electro sounds yeah and then we really sort of gelled and we used to take tapes into school play to each other and stuff like that and eventually got into the whole sort of djing thing together yeah so in terms of getting into that the whole that whole dj thing as you as you put it i I try and think like during that period there wasn't much around if you're too young to get into a club there's not much on the television in terms of people with decks or mixing or anything like that what Mm. how did you understand how this music was being put together and what inspired you it's quite weird actually thinking back because we're so used to having like YouTube yeah. and social media and stuff now and this has popped up quite a few times chatting with people it's like how, how the fuck did we know what was going on yeah. out there do you know what I mean how did you learn how to DJ because there was no school of DJing yeah. and and you couldn't just put on YouTube and work out how to how to do something but I was actually out clubbing from from about 14 yeah probably 14 Certainly 14, probably 14, going on 15. I just got my old brother and his mates who were sort of 17, 18. So that's sort of how we sort of really got into the music and then sort of watching the DJ and what they were doing. Yeah. I can remember one of my first memories of watching the DJ was someone called Simon Harris. He's still about, I think. He used to run um, a label called Music of Life, hip-hop label. All right, yeah. But he was... Uh, he was friends with people like Froggy, I think, back in the day, who was a very well-known 
sort of for his, I think he used to do like 10 deck mixing and stuff like that. He was from around our way as well. I remember going to a club called Billy Jeans in, in Epping and um, watching Simon Harris. And I can, again, I can remember standing there by the side of the decks just watching what he was doing. And he was playing all these soul tracks and mixing a cappellas over the top. And right. I was just like, I was just fascinated by it. Yeah. It was like, oh, wow, this is brilliant, actually. You know, I was into, the, into doing the mixing stuff in different ways. I used to have reel-to-reels at home and I used to get up to all sorts of different creations and, and experiments. But to see Simon Harris doing it live at a club, pack club, yeah, you know, with a really good atmosphere and stuff. I was like, oh man, this is me. <laughs> got to be doing this. So at that point, had you already got decks as well or was that the inspiration? To um, I think Lime had decks before me. He had a set of, I think they were Garrard's, just, you know, one of these coffin things. Yeah. And we both used to, <clears throat> both used to go on that and we'd, we'd mix, we'd try and scratch, but the needle didn't really sort of grip too good. But um, we just mix just by pushing the tracks around the finger, find a couple of tracks that are fairly close on BPM. Yeah. And I either slow slow one down or speed one up. Probably sounded terrible if you listen back now. Can you imagine? Yeah, I think just experimenting in that way is just the way you kind of learn these things, isn't yeah. it? You just like mess around and see what happens. Yeah, and yeah. It's sort of, I think it sort of come sort of come naturally to both of us really, just because we were so into it. It wasn't something that we thought, oh, you know, we've got to learn how to do that. Yeah. He was like, we're going to learn how to do it, whatever. It's just it's sort of, you know, yeah. sort of come naturally, yeah. So were you thinking about, okay, I've seen this DJ rock a club. Obviously, you're inspired by the technicality aspect of it. Mm. Was there also having a crowd a kind of side effect of that? Or was it like, I want to be a performer as well? No, I wasn't really the performer side, if I'm if I'm honest. It was the technical side and just just the, the sort of wanting to do it. I don't know, you know, maybe maybe there was an underlying thing that I wanted to people to, to listen. Yeah. But what certainly wasn't I wanna be in front of loads of people sort of showing off sort of thing. Yeah. Definitely not that. I'm trying to think back. I think it must I must have been about seventeen or eighteen when I got my first decks. What were they? They were Citronic. Yeah. Um, Citronic deck. I actually, I actually designed this coffin case from um, a place called High Tech in Dalston, no in way. East London. And I, I was trying to work out. I, I had to get decks with pitch control, and these Citronics fitted my price range. Yeah. Um, but I needed to get that and a decent mix, so I chose a, an MRT60 Phonic mm-hmm. with two of these decks. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, all oh, right, yeah, we can do that, and we can we can get something made to size. So I got that done, and then they ended up getting loads and loads of them done and sold them for a good good couple of years, I think. Wow. Yeah, so I should have been a designer. So, well, I was a designer. <laughs> they just didn't pay me for it. <laughs> should have got a freebie. Yeah, so so I got that and a set of... Big, big, heavy set of speakers. I can't remember what they were, and a big amplifier. Mm. And I remember my mum and dad moved up to Dunmo when I was eighteen, and I remember taking it up there, taking all the kit up there with me, and actually, I think I played over the road in the pub a couple of times yeah. with my decks and speakers and stuff. The mobile DJ thing never really took off. Lime was out doing um, a couple of bars around Loughton and Bucker still. And were you thinking about producing any tracks at this time or anything like that? Or just, yeah. was it again, was it just messing around? Yeah, and... it was really. I've, no, I've never really thought of... Only recently I've sort of realised that the whole production thing was... Uh, the seed was planted for that Yeah. sort of a long time before. Yeah, so <clears throat> we made our first track in 1989. Yeah. In fact, so... That was pretty early in the in the whole rave scene, um, and we were doing stuff before that. Me and Lime, we used to go up to to Ritzy in Tottenham, and we'd met up with these two blokes that used to rap 
Gino and Mikey they were called I'd love to see them now actually if it's still about um, and they came round a couple of times and we had a, a Roland 505 drum machine can't remember what else we used to use I think that was probably about it really and then we used to sort of scratch a few bits over the top with a with some records and then we recorded them rapping over the top of it so that must have been probably 86 87 i think yeah. very very scrappy sort of demos but you know we shown a massive interest yeah there was there was one particular point i was around at limes he'd just got home from work and he'd bought marshall jefferson movie body and he's like matt listen to this and he's like wow it just i can remember that that moment thinking there's something different about this track it feels like a different type of music yeah Maybe to other people it didn't, I don't know, but there was something in there, that actual foundation of what, you know, became real sort of proper house music that it just stuck out like a sore thumb to me and it was like, Oh right, this is this is different, yeah, this is great. Yeah. And from that point we were hooked. We were still into I was still in into my hip hop stuff right the way through to early nineties. But yeah, from eighty six and then there um I think the first tune I bought was Jackie Body. On import as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's a bit like saying when people say, oh, yeah, no, I've got that on vinyl on social media. Yeah. So I've got to say, well, yeah, I do it on import. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got it on the original label. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing, really. And yeah. that was pretty much pre-rave Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. So that was the start of house music. Yeah. But then, 87, I bought Land of Confusion, Armando. Yeah. And that, we sampled that for our first SL2 track. Yeah. In 1989, yeah. So Acid House for me started just about in '87, as far as I can think of it, and then rave sort of started to explode in '88. Yeah. So I mean, the whole rave scene. Obviously, you've been part of that scene since the beginning. Mm. Were you going to events before you were DJing at them, or did they kind of happen concurrently? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I wasn't really. I don't see myself as an actual raver. Yeah. I was never really that that actual raver going out there and proper having it and getting off with tits and stuff but I was a clubber we were going to see what happened in in the late 80s the, the club nights then sort of turned into raves Tottenham Ritzy went from sort of all mirrors everywhere to then closed down I think for a while yeah. because it just couldn't attract the people anymore and then sort of turned into a rave but I think probably places like Camden Palace so there was a transition actually from going to the the sort of shiny clubs like we used to go to Zero Six, um, was it Bananas up in the West End, and mm. then Tottenham Ritzy uh, on a regular, Elton's in Tottenham as well. And I seem to remember it went from doing that to then going to places like the Wag. It was like the, the whole sort of rare groove sort of days, that transition into rare groove, and music started getting a bit bit more of a UK scene. Yeah, yeah, and then club wise, probably uh, I remember going up with with all my mates, all my sort of more ravey sort of mates, going up to Camden Palace places like that and then Astoria did you think okay I'm kind of set up here I'm in prime position I've got the tracks I've got the equipment and the talent there was no plan though that's the thing (laughs) absolutely (laughs) no plan at all and it was so different back in back in the late 80s I mean DJing wasn't really you know DJs were people that worked in clubs or radio sort Mm -hmm. of thing you know there wasn't this DJ culture as far as I remember so yeah there was there was no plan at all we it was just purely out of the need we needed to fulfil our wishes try and DJ and mix it's more about mixing than DJ yeah. I think really and make music so we made our first track as I said in 1989 I remember taking it up to Camden Palace getting um, asking Chris Paul to play it did he play which it? he did 
How old was that? Which he actually did, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, we actually played a, a tune on tape, actually, on cassette up at Ritzy in Tottenham. God knows how we managed to... <laughs> To persuade him to do that, I would never do that for no. someone. <laughs> so that maybe it's half empty, maybe the club is half empty at the time. I don't know. Maybe it's an early <laughs> one. But yeah, there, there was there was no plan, mm. no plan at all. I know I I had never thought that I would be sitting here all these years, you know, thirty odd years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with a thirty year career under my belt as a DJ. Yeah, amazing, that's incredible. Mm. And um, can you remember if you cast your mind back? What was the gig where you thought, I've made it now, or this is now my career? Where was that turning point? Where were you playing? Um, and were you always slip Matt from the start? I was Matt Nelson at first. Yeah. Matt Nelson. Um, I found an old business card <laughs> a little while ago. I think it was Matt Nelson, the best in soul music, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so real, really, so me and my friends started off um, at a pirate station which was Roy FM. A couple of my mates were working for, I think it was Tower Hamlets Council, doing sort of engineering work and stuff. So they were doing all metal work and locksmith stuff mm-hmm. and all that. And they knew where all the squats were around East London. <laughs> it's quite handy, really, if, you want, if, you, handy. if you're thinking about starting a private station. Um, so we ended up at a place called Devil Point in Hackneywick. Mm-hmm. Um, they broke in, put a new, new locks on the door. This was on the 18th floor, long story short. 18th floor, we lasted a few weeks in there. We had the aerial sticking out the balcony so you could see it from everywhere. And we got done by the DTI. I actually lost my decks there as well. My, I, I still had the um, the Citronic ones. I had yeah. a set of Technics at home. Yeah. But I donated the Citronic ones to the station just to get us started. And, yeah. they, and they went, unfortunately. Um, which was gutting. And mm. then, in fact, then I, I did a swap. I sold my... I did a deal with, the, with my mates to... Given my Technics 12, 1200 silver ones, and I went, went and bought a set of 1210s myself, and who's yeah. that? That must yeah. have been 89. So then we moved up, so we basically just moved up to the top floor, yeah. and then totally sealed it up. You couldn't, no one could have got in there at all, and, and these were like professional sort of engineers as well. Yeah. Um, so we had cables going up, um, the soil pipe believe it or not <laughs> which is pretty disgusting who run those cables uh, my mate graham actually he was one of one of my dj mates I, i'm still knocking around with him now but yeah, yeah he he said it was horrible we sort of looked over it's like Whoa! had to get this cable through um once it was done it was done and we never never actually got anything taken away after oh, that yeah. i think we had a couple of we had a dummy rig so we had cable power cables going up up the lift shaft into the top of the lift which was quite tricky to get into and then we had a uh, we tried making a rig and it never worked so it looked it looked like one yeah but it just had the power for it so if they managed to get up there and take that off the power would go off yeah. and the actual main rig was up right up on the roof you needed like a couple of ladders to get out there and stuff yeah so we never lost anything um after that so how so long, from, how long was that running for i reckon probably best part of a year i think yeah we must have started it um summer 89 because Brain Dance started in September '89, yeah, and we were running adverts for that. As my brother, we'll get into that. Yeah. That was my brother that started Brain Dance, yeah. Um, and then we went for went for quite a while, but it, it was just a hobby. It wasn't uh, a business or anything. There were six of us, and we used to go out there at the weekends, play a load of music, smoke a load of puff, just have a laugh, just yeah. have a laugh up there. Really, there's no toilet. You used to have to piss in the bath, and it was <laughs> <laughs> proper proper. Um, <clears throat> proper messy old times and, and stuff it was good yeah that was really 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 good fun and we just used to go at the weekends we had a uh, a double auto reverse cassette player mm-hmm. 
and she used to put a couple of tapes in there and, and that used to run pretty much all week. If someone was passing, they'd pop me in and change the tapes over. No way. <laughs> and it's quite handy, actually, because you... <clears throat> quite handy, but at the same time, a little bit nerve, nerve-wracking because if it went off, you'd be like, shit, what's going on? Yeah. But if it was still running, you'd be thinking, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> good. So, yeah, stressful. <clears throat> so we did that and then um, Rain Dance... Rain Dance took off. Rain Dance was my, I always look at Rain Dance as my first proper rave mm. gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done a couple of club gigs before that, but that was the prop, first proper rave, so September 89. And then from that, I then started getting a lot busier as a DJ. So I can remember then doing the radio and, and having to go off on a Saturday night rather than staying there and, and getting stoned. <laughs> go off on a Saturday night and. <laughs> And go up to Leicester or to Colchester or, or wherever. Yeah. <clears throat> so from yeah, sort of end of eight, end of eighty nine through nineteen ninety, I started getting a lot busier. Yeah, I was uh, an apprentice electrician at the time. Mm-hmm. So that that just shows you. I mean, I must have taken that on in the summer of eighty nine. That apprenticeship that just shows I had no plan, yeah. no plans to be a DJ. Yeah, and when, during that period, sorry, um, you obviously you're, you're travelling around and playing in, in these different places. Yeah. Did you feel like something was happening? That this was the beginning of a of a movement, or was it just like I'm just doing this for fun? It it was yeah, it was fun. It was. Do you know what? I, I was an apprentice for for two years. First year, I was only forty pound a week, and it was just oh, that was a nightmare. So, so a couple of um, DJ gigs was really really helpful. Yeah. I was even doing a bit of cab driving. Actually, it must have been yeah, twenty one, twenty two. Um, my brother was a cabbie and very lucky for me very nice of him actually but he put me on his insurance yeah if he could even do that these days <laughs> i think you need a proper license and everything now but but um so you still a couple of nights cabin to try and make your money up but yeah the, the dj was was handy yeah it was just it was just fun it was just so new and different yeah. you know 1989 it wasn't even legal yeah so there was no real thought of it being a, a long-term business or anything so then going through 1990 must have been playing at places like telepathy mm-hmm. stuff like that in east london and I gradually started getting more and more work outside of outside of London as we went into 1991, and the, and the whole rave scene was getting much much bigger. Yeah, it had become legal, you know, legal, and there's a lot of legal club nights on. So we were still making records. Um, SL2 brought out the noise and Bassquake. Yeah, I think beginning of '91, which actually went went really well. We just did it on our own label. Yeah, we got burnt on the first one actually on the first track in '89. We never got paid for it, which was no biggie. Yeah. It, it was a, a great experience. Um, the noise come out on their own label, which was awesome records. Yeah, <clears throat> and then we followed up with DJs Take Control. Yeah, and Wham a Brain. Yeah, um, summer of of ninety one. Yeah, and then my apprenticeship comes to an end June ninety one, and then we got the record signed. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> At this is exactly the same time. In fact, John had gone over to Ibiza with a load of my mates from the radio station. I think they went over there for about a month just because it was all going off over there, there's all necking pills and, yeah. and getting off the tits. And he left me with his phone because we were getting calls from record companies. So I had the, the Motorola brick with me yeah. for my last probably month um, as an electrician, <laughs> which was pretty cool. And then and we were getting calls from, I think we had about eight different labels yeah. onto us to, to sign up DJs Take Control. We went with XL Recordings. And that was it. I left, yeah. left my apprenticeship. Didn't carry on doing that. that and that. from that point, then yeah. it was like, right, okay, I think this is it. And obviously, Excel, yeah. home of at that time, Prodigy, Liquid, yeah. and all those yeah, kind yeah. of big tunes from back then. 
yeah and it was good you know we had walk records there was there was a lot of different labels that, yeah. that wanted us so it was you know we knew we were onto something good i suppose at the time if i look back my my thought would have been oh okay i'll take a break from being a sparky i can always go back to that yeah. i finished off my apprenticeship but it just never happened never Thank happened. God. <laughs> <laughs> i mean dj's take control of that track specifically obviously it samples night writers yeah. let the music use you what was your relationship with that track before you sampled it was it something you'd heard and be like that's a great riff i want to use that or did it was it just something you grabbed in the studio yeah no 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 so we actually had a plan with with that so my dj career wasn't planned from the start but i do like i do actually like planning um so now we from actually from playing Mm. at rain dance and and a few other places we could see what we needed to do Mm. we had a really really sort of strong vision back in the day of what we wanted really sort of firm ideas and basically we, we was like right okay we need a really fucking heavy beat heavy break beat kick drum as well we need to go into the gooiest sort of you know uh, uplifting sort of um, breakdown that we possibly can we obviously went through our for our tracks but that was yeah. you know pre well pre-planned before we actually went in the studio we had all the all the parts there so the beat was dirty as anything in, fa- in fact when um when after Excel signed it, we went to do the the radio edit, mm. and they they asked us to change the breakbeat because it was too crackly. No way. That's ridiculous these days. You yeah. Know, people add crackle now, don't they? To yeah. Their, to their tracks. But where it was crackly, yeah, there's like oh look, you know, it's a bit it's a bit too raw and sort of dirty. <laughs> so, luckily, well, in fact, the the breakbeat for Wayne Brain was the same beat, mm. but a clean version of it really clean version of it so we just swapped it over so if you ever get a chance to to compare listen yeah. to the seven inch version oh, right okay and the 12 inch version yeah and, you, and you'll you'll notice the difference Interesting. Yeah. Mm. i'll check that out definitely yeah <laughs> yeah so so yeah we put them together and mm. then played it at oh, i don't know what it would have been maybe the egg or rain dance the egg or one one of them ones sort of middle of 91 yeah first play on a white label it sort of worked and we was like yep yeah, sounds nice and loud it's working and then it got round to the next rain dance which was probably about a month after yeah and it just exploded <clears throat> it was just like wow <laughs> yeah what the fuck yeah. and had you and then and then yeah you know, from playing it after that then all the then the phone started ringing yeah and at that point had you been sharing it around to other people or were you the only people that had copies of it yeah we we put um story was we we were working with mo's music machine mm-hmm. so we gave mo's 250 white labels just got white labels done to start with um and they went out within about an hour it was like ridiculous it was like get some more quick quick (laughs) gotta get some more of this tune so we did another if we did another two i think we did 500 on a actual labeled copies and we give them give them 250 of them and they just shot out again and it was like right hold on a minute I mean, the phone was ringing and everything. We thought, no, we can't keep putting these promos out. And I think Excel actually bought the rest of them off us. I think, yeah. Isn't mm. there? I think there's some knocking around of like on the original Awesome label, but have yeah. that Excel sticker on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that would have yeah. been it. Yeah. 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 Oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing times. Yeah. And um, from DJ's Take Control, obviously the next track was on a ragged tip samples walk and skank yeah um I, again what was where did that come so, from so so we didn't really say, talk about my other uh, my other sort of love of music i've always mm. been into reggae mm-hmm. or say always um from about 12 probably about 12 years old i was listening to rodigan yep on capital radio every saturday cassette player 
and she just used to record it every every week. I was absolutely mental on reggae. It was a big influence on my sort of production and probably a big influence on why I wanted to get involved in making music as well because the reggae thing was so sort of raw. Yeah. And one of the one of the things I used to love about it was all the jingles, all the Rodigan jingles and that. It's just oh, it's just amazing. So yeah, so Wayne Brain, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was um sort of off the back yeah John was into the reggae thing as well it was more come from the reggae thing come from my side yeah but so the way of a brain and that really worked you know that was pretty much a double A side for us yeah. really yeah you know there's people that like that preferred way of a brain to, to DJs um, so Ragatip was meant to be the, the flip side of I think it was changing tracks yeah I should know really shouldn't I <laughs> <laughs> Ragatip was so much bigger um so that so that was actually the the follow up. So we thought, yeah, it'd be nice to follow up because Wayne Brain was so big, and yeah. you know, we loved the reggae stuff as well. And same with that, we we actually hunted that down. So we knew what type of type of tune we wanted to do. So I was listening to a lot of Yellow Man and stuff like that at mm-hmm. the time. And there was one, I think it was a Yellow Man live thing, and he did this a a a a a a a sort of sort of lyric as a sort of bit of an intro. I was, said to John, I was like, right, we've got to find something like that. I think we probably tried something Yellow Man, but it didn't work. And I actually went round to um, another mate of mine, actually, Shaquille, an uh, Indian friend of mine, dead now, actually, God bless his soul. But um, he had this Walk and Skank mm-hmm. track there, and we found it. It was like, right, that's it. It works. Yeah. It absolutely worked. So, yeah, that's how that come about, really. So, same again. It was an idea that we, we knew exactly what we wanted, and mm-hmm. we found pretty much exactly what we had in our heads yeah wasn't far off at all yeah and then so so that that was the flip side took it to excel they liked the the whole ep and then actually me and john i think john said it first he's like oh the, the ragged tip track it's just like there's something about it it's just do you think we should put it as the a side as the main track and i was like yeah i think actually maybe you're right and then we went to nick hawks mm-hmm. excel and he sort of did his usual <laughs> And um and yeah, totally agreed. And so it became the A side, yeah. It's an indelible track from that era. Obviously it did really well in the charts. Did it get to mm. number one in one chart? There were obviously two charts at two top forties at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So we in fact DJ's take control, we didn't even mention that. That that got to number eleven in the chart. Yeah. DJ's take control and we got on top of the pops with that. So yeah. Back in ninety one that was the the other big thing. We were yeah. suddenly suddenly from electrician to like, you know, a couple of months after top of the pops that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> interviews all over the country on radio and, yeah. and dance dance energy mm-hmm. norm ski up in yeah. manchester and stuff um yeah so it it got to number one for i think it was a day on yeah. a, on a midweek which right. isn't which isn't official <laughs> but i'm so glad i know that that we that he was actually number yeah. one for for a day a day or two days i think it might have been a day and we were actually over in la doing a gig i remember we were sitting in a in a hotel room i think john was on the phone so i think it was probably nick hawks because the track had come out and obviously we, we were due a midweek so i to remember it. i should should i should actually research it and then remember it really um i think we went in at 10 or 8 or something and this was the second week and we was, we was like wow you know we've gone straight in the top 10 that's yeah. mental yeah and and he said yeah you're number one he said, you're midweek. This was on the Wednesday. He said, you're, mid- you're number one. And I was like, what? It's like, wow. Yeah. Absolute. You know, in less than a year. Well, it's like you say, it's good that you know that as well. It's not often that you'd, you yeah. know, you'd get the midweek position. Yeah. And then by, I think it was the next day or the day after, I think it was the next day, we'd gone down to two. 
Mm. Um, and it was uh, KWS, please don't go. Oh, was it? That's an annoying tune in the world. <laughs> Sorry. You'll never forget that one. <laughs> no. Nah. Nah, and that was a huge tune as well. So it was really unlucky for mm. us because that sta- I think that stayed at number one for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. So it was bad, bad timing for us, really. Um, well, the thing, if you're on the dance floor now and someone puts on KWS, the dance floor probably would clear, wouldn't it? You I put on so. SL2, I hope so, and yeah. it's gonna, <laughs> everyone's gonna run onto it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think people would remember the "Please Don't Go" track, but we was number one in the on the network chart, which was your Capital Radio and yeah. I suppose the commercial stations around the country. Yeah. So we so we got number one there, and obviously number one in the dance chart and stuff. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I suppose after that, you know, the scene, the journey through the scene musically, like 92 and then like 93 and 94 kind of era was where it started to kind of really diverge and split. Mm-hmm. Obviously you had the more like jungle <clears throat> drum and bass kind of sound coming in, like more yeah. break beaty, then a more kick drum kind of hardcore sound. You kind of fell into the latter. During that point where the scene was going in different directions, was it like a conscious decision or was it just like, I like what I play and no. I'm just going to go play this? Um, or did bit, you realise that the both, scene bit was bit of both, really. We were, we, were all, we were sort of um, riding the sails sort of thing. Do you know what mm. I mean? It was sort of going with the flow in a way. Through Throughout 92, the music just sped up. Yeah. It went from, you know, beginning of 92, we were, BPM-wise, we were sort of between 130 and 140. And by December, it was 150 to 160, basically. <sighs> yeah. nuts. Yeah, it just changed. It's weird. Weird. Those few first few years of rave of the rave thing, there was so much going on and so mm. much change compared to the last twenty years. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a lot smaller, I suppose. Now, it, well, it's not it, the actual rave side of things is a lot smaller. So um, by the end of '92, we, we released "Why Am I Brain" the remix mm-hmm. 
in I think it was it's either November or December. It might have actually been beginning of December, I think, and that went into it, it made the I think it got to about thirty one, something like thirty two. I'm not saying it should have got any higher, but but I think that was pretty much a reflection on rave music yeah. in the charts and and you know commercially at that time. And then from that point, it just totally sort of the slope just went. It yeah. just sort of totally dropped off. So commercially, so commer yeah. So commercially, after Wayne Brain, um, you know, the label was sort of saying, oh, you know, what you're going to do, and and we just didn't want to. I was like super busy DJing, like mad busy all over the world, or certainly all over the UK at that at that point. And we just didn't want to go down that commercial route, and it's yeah. not that we didn't want to. We didn't probably didn't really know how to. Yeah, we weren't proper musicians you know we were cut a cut of djs that have made a couple of sort of successful tunes and and done quite a few sort of good underground tunes and that was it with the commercial stuff uh, yeah. for a long 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 time that's that was us done with with excel really yeah we probably could have said all oh, right okay look let's get some producers in or whatever and see if we can keep the sl2 name going and all that but we were just weren't really interested. John certainly wasn't interested in anything aiming for commercial. I think it's probably a good move. I don't think we don't think that was us. So then going into '93, mm. the whole music then started changing. With I suppose as the commercial side of things sort of dropped off, probably the raves changed yeah. changed a lot. You know, people got into more you know into different stuff. <clears throat> I think people were probably getting back into house music. Mm-hmm. Again, as well. I mean, same, same was still big, um, but it had changed. So it had gone very, very dark. Yeah. Very fast, very breakbeat, very dark. Jungle was sort of becoming a lot bigger. And I personally saw a, a bit of a gap for the more sort of happier style of stuff. Was, you know, stuff we were playing for sort of throughout 92, like Edge One. Mm hmm. Terrorise, just a feeling, all yeah. those sort of real sort of uplifting, uplifting tracks. Um, I did like the dark stuff, and I used to. I, I played it for a good couple of years after the jungle. You know, I even made a bit of jungle music and stuff. I was well into that. It was part of the creation of that, I suppose, really yeah. to an extent as well. But I saw that that sort of gap, and then decided to to get my own sample. I was using John's equipment, the studio equipment at the time. Mm. <clears throat> Thought, right now, I've got to do something about this. So I went and got myself a, an S1000 and an Atari and then made the SMD series. Yeah, that's often credited as like the first, yeah, first hardcore like the kind track. of track that kicked it all off. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Introduced like the <clears throat> kick drum. You I know. invented jungle. There you go. I invented up the hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, you know, take us through kind of building that and the, the samples that you used my inspiration for for that was edge one mm-hmm. edge one was a track all the way through 92 off and when it was made in 92 <clears throat> that was a track that you could pull out put that on bang so, yeah. you know pretty much 90 percent of all dance floors would, would go mental very often last, last sort of last tune of the set and yeah. stuff like that last tune of the night um so i wanted to sort of recreate something along that vibe and it turned out to be to be smd1 <clears throat> the riff in smd1 is very it's, it's a totally different sound but the the way i've done it is quite similar to the to the big riff in in edge one um i wanted the a nice heavy kick yeah and stuff hi-hats and that so yeah that's what come out of smd1 come out was inspired by edge one sort of to recreate that vibe in 93 yeah pianos from uh, uh an old white label congress which yes. that, that yeah, actually yeah. charted actually yeah. i don't know if they changed the name of it 
40 um, miles 40 miles yeah, yeah. They, put yeah. Vo- they put the vocal on top didn't they yeah. 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 yeah yeah so i took the that was a huge i what the white like the original white label that and that was a huge tune for me throughout 91 yeah so i nicked the piano off of that <laughs> which they they were fine with that i think i spoke i don't know if i spoke to them at the time but i've yeah. spoken to them since and they, yeah they're, that's fine this wasn't their piano anyway and then made that really really big i sort of split it so it's so when the piano come in it just went all over the all over the place yeah i managed to get a really really loud pressing and it just took off yeah smd1 took off sort of sort of the start of of happy hardcore yeah. really yeah, yeah along along with there was myself people like um, ramos and supreme mm-hmm. and we sort of ended up a bit of a sort of small community of, yeah. of djs that, that sort of grew yeah, yeah. Mm. i mean were you surprised at that point of how influ- like looking back are you surprised how influential that was my vision i had, the, I had the, the vision for the track to do what it and it and it worked it did exactly what i wanted it to do but then as the months went on the scene divided more and more mm. into dark side and jungle and hardcore well i mean during that period you could definitely tell like <coughs> For me, as we spoke before the mics came on, my brother was well into the hardcore scene. I got decks when I was super young. What taught me how to mix was, you know, I had a few hardcore records that I remember my brother getting the Dreamscape 6 tape pack. And it's got your tape in it. And I realised that in your set, you played two tracks together that I had in, in my box at home. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow, OK, <laughs> I can like... And that's mixing those two together was like, it was um, oh, wow. our Sunset Regime... Uh, Sunshine yeah. and SMD2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two like, big, big tracks from 93 yeah. from yeah. that sort of happy hardcore movement sort of thing, yeah. And the way, like, as soon as one bit ends in one track, the, the next bit on the new on the new one had come in, and I was like, okay, suddenly the light bulb moment, you've really thought about placing those two elements oh, yeah, together. Yeah. Mm. And then that was, for me, that was kind of what taught me how to mix. Like, understanding <laughs> when one drops out, you start the other bit comes in and even to this day that's kind of how I mix so yeah that's thanks quite for that. interesting. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's actually really good I'm glad you said that as well yeah right? so so yeah all, all the way through to 91 92 mm. I do a lot of practice with my DJ before I go out and, yeah. and a lot of the mixes would be um worked out like that yeah so I wouldn't do a whole hour of I don't know exactly what I'm doing but yeah. I know what I knew what tunes would go with what yeah and what drops out I'd, where I'd, and... yeah I'd bring bring tracks in you wouldn't hear it I wouldn't actually bring it in but I knew exactly where I was going to bring it in and then yeah. it, it would very much so yeah that's interesting yeah and then you know and then that, actually that was 93 so 93 mm. was a big year for that happy hardcore thing and the four beat whatever you want to call it yeah um, but even then, by '94, I made a couple of big um, crossover jungle so tracks as well, so breaking and, free yeah. and hear me. Yeah, and I'm still doing that that type of stuff, sort of quite heavy breakbeat sort of music. I mean, breaking free. I think Bookham took a dub of that. Mickey yeah. Finn took a dub. Possibly Randall. I can't. There was quite a few of the sort of more jungle um, DJs that were that were sort of well into that as well. Yeah. Obviously, you say you used to know your records really super practice. And you said about quality control and listening to stuff back. There's a whole real community now of like tape packs going online, SoundCloud, MixCloud, <laughs> all this stuff. Have you listened back to any of your sets from like, you know, these are th- some are 30 years old, yeah, so yeah. to speak. And are you impressed with it or is it just part of I'll, your, I'll, your you history? Know what? I'm actually quietly quite chuffed that I did all that practice back in the day <laughs> because some of the <laughs> some of the tape packs are, are 
oh, they're terrible. But mm. um, luckily, I mean, there's, there's loads of mistakes in mine, mm. tons of them. But I'm probably it's probably good that I did do a lot of practice because uh, it's not as bad as it, it as it could have been. Some others are. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I've um, I've remastered a lot of the old tape packs and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that. There's so many out there. I could never mm. find them all. But I've actually um, released. I released a USB a couple of years ago with with loads of the old tape packs on. I'm yeah, just wow. about to to release another one in yeah. the next couple of months, part Amazing. two, which will have probably cut a hundred different sets. Oh, incredible! There, all remastered. Yeah, oh, yeah. I get a chance to cut out of the odd bit here and there as well. <laughs> Overdub some bits. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> cut that bit out. No, I don't do too much of that, but, yeah. but um, you know, records jump and stuff yeah, like that yeah, yeah. can get a bit annoying or, yeah. or the MC's a bit too loud. But yeah, no, I always listen to the, the listening back. I still do that now with um, with my podcasts. Mm-hmm. Always listen back just in, just in case there's a mistake or if something got exported with a gap in it or something like that. It's, yeah, and it's always good to... to, to listen to your progress as well yeah and in your productions um it was always a stamp of quality certainly when i was buying records during that time oh, a slip you. a slip mat remix was like yeah. always better than the original it was even oh, even right. now when me and my brother are talking about music like current stuff and there'll be a remix of something new um, and they've done a really good job with it and made it better than the original. Like the shorthand between me and my brother is, oh, it's like a slip mat remix. You know, it's like <laughs> he's done a slip mat remix on this. It's like, yeah. Oh, wicked. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> no worries. Cool. I, I mean, we've kind of circled around Ibiza as well. Um, you set up the kind of slip back in time events over there. Mm. Just tell us about, about those and what the inspiration was for that. The, the Ibiza thing started in 1994. First year I went out, I got mm. booked to play at Chaos, which is now Eden. And that was more of a hardcore thing, I think, hardcore drummer bass. And I played there the next, I think, 95. I think we, I think we went out with United Dance in 95. So that was more of a happy hardcore thing. Yeah. Um, but we had great fun. That was <laughs> absolute madness, yeah. 95 or 96, and then, and then I'm sure it was 96, I started playing for 1830s. They mm. did a thing at Benamusa Park, which is known as, as a zoo, yeah, um, called Sundance. I remember at one point, it, it was about 3,500 people in there, and I was playing, they were booking me to play old school, but I was playing old school and house. My brother had started the Aquarium in London. Yep. That was his club. He started that in 95, and that was all house. So I used to play there sometimes as well. Yeah. So from, it's weird, with the house thing, it start, I started house in 86 mm-hmm. and played house right right the way through, really. And then, sort of, you know, 91, 92, 93, I, I got sort of sidetracked into, not sidetracked, but my focus was on the, you know, the hardcore stuff, and yeah. the jungle stuff and it. But then by by 95, I was back playing house again as a regular yeah. thing on, on top of everything else. Yeah, so from, from 96, I was playing Ibiza regularly I've been there every every single year I've worked out I've been there over 200 times over the years it's a bit like home from home I've got friends there that I just go and yeah any any time at any point in the year I can go over and stay for as long as I want stuff where's Um, the best place for you to play over there where do you enjoy the most um at the moment I like Eden actually Mm -hmm. at the moment um it's just so so good what they've done with the club sound system's amazing just everything yeah. about it one of my best mates over there is a, is a manager as well yeah which is nice Dermot yeah um, so yeah I've got a huge huge history with IB for backwards and forwards yeah um, you know, I've played a lot of the clubs we used, used to play space now and again and 
you know, some of the big places, the S Paradise, loads and loads. Yeah. I had residencies at um, Nightlife, which is at the bottom of the West End, mm-hmm. which West End makes it sound a bit cheesy, <laughs> but it's a real, oh, that was just um, absolutely amazing. That's where we sort of say that Slip Back in Time was born from, from mm-hmm. 2000. Yeah. In there really because I was doing every week and we sort of called it Slip Back in Time for me yeah. it wasn't officially Slip Back in Time but that is that's where it come from it was official in my head it wasn't official on the <laughs> on the flyer but we we then sort of took the brand from there and was that you know the the rave scene you kind of said that you kind of picked up the house baton back again in kind of the late to mid 90s was there a point where in terms of like the rave scene um, where you thought actually this has had its time now and I'm going to go this way there there was actually yeah there was so <clears throat> not with not with the original sort of old school tracks yeah I'll always play them and you know even even now still you know, it's, it still works dropping zero B lockout <laughs> even though it's been so overplayed but you know tracks like that yeah. at the right point you still yeah. play it but by so I was playing the happy hardcore thing was huge for me right the way through the 90s yeah Especially up to sort of ninety seven, ninety eight, and I was, you know, so travelling all over the world, backwards and forwards to Australia and even America and stuff. But by ninety, I think sort of middle of ninety nine, the hardcore thing was just getting really, really boring for me. Really yeah. stale. The happy hardcore side of things, um, and I can actually remember back thinking, you know, I hadn't bought any new tunes for about a year. Yeah. Or not bought or, or you know played anything new. It just gone really, really stale, really yeah. boring. And at that point. I think it had for everyone at that point. And you had D- DJs like Dougal and mm-hmm. Force and Styles were, were making new, slightly different newer stuff. I think it was off the back of the trance yep. era, and so the, the hardcore breakdowns were turning into sort of real trancey, sort of sped up trancey sort of stuff. Yeah. And that wasn't really me. I suppose I was more into the house sort of thing. I, I was playing a lot of trance as well, especially through the summer, all around the med, like I believe for Mallorca, stuff with the eighteen thirties and that. So I sort of pretty much ditched that happy hardcore thing at the end of the 90s yeah. still still do the occasional set it's, it's great fun still yeah. love it you know I still love some of the tunes even yeah. though some people might think they're cheesy but it's it's just good fun yeah absolutely good fun yeah I, I, can't, can, can't knock it if you've got a good crowd in front of you yeah. as well as a DJ playing some of that stuff and if they're really enjoying it, it yeah. you can't not smile now, to this day, I can't. No matter what style of music it is, if it's got some massive piano breakdown in it, I'm all over it. <laughs> yeah, and if, and if everyone's jumping around, smiling, yeah, yeah. having fun, so it's, it's yeah. great. It's yeah. absolutely great. And um, I suppose circling back to Ibiza and slip back in time, and they're kind yeah. of just generally the re-emergence of the old school in a way. I mean, it, it's quite funny in that the old school has always been a part of this scene. In like, but it's the old school kind of never really moves years. Really, it's it's like a certain it's, era. It, it was just it, it makes you think. It was so powerful mm. that nine, 90 to ninety two mm-hmm. era must have just been so powerful because it's still there. When someone ever talks about you know the nineties, it's always around that those yeah. couple of years, two or three years. So I, I've been playing the old school stuff since since day dot, and I've never really stopped with that era. And in fact, all you know, all the times that I've been been to IB for over the years, although I've been playing house, I'd always drop a couple of old school tunes in. Yeah, and in terms of that old school sound, a lot of your sets, there's a real mixture between the originals yeah. and you know newer stuff. And where do you draw the line? Is it important to to obviously honour the old school but innovate at the same time? Mm. But we have done an interview with Mark Archer from oh, Alternate. Right. Um, he was very much like 
I only want to play the originals. That's oh, all really? I play. Yeah. No, and... I'm totally different to. That. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally. I'm very different to Mark. Anyway, yeah, I love yeah. Mark to bits actually. Yeah. Um, he comes over and plays for us as well. Yeah. So I've known Mark since since day dot. We've had some we've had some mad ones together in Ibiza for as well over the years. Oh, some really funny stories. So so the next part of my yeah. story leading up to now really is as a DJ I went totally digital. Um, went CDs and then went to controller mm-hmm. actually and then by doing that I then from using a laptop with a controller I managed to, to get a lot more music together um, old stuff and sort of dig into the vaults and rip loads more vinyl and stuff so I went from two, 2010 up until a few years ago I was ripping loads of old school tracks and there was it so many people say, oh, there's an old school revival going on with it. It's all, there's always been one. Every year there's one. It's like every yeah. day there's one, <laughs> really. But people just notice it in their, own, in their own way. But there was a bit, for me, there was a bit from 2010, 2011. I just dug a lot deeper, and I think a few of us did, and revived a lot more of the old school stuff, a lot more of the real underground stuff. So it wasn't just the same old on a ragged tip, awesome free don't go, you yeah. know, which gets very tedious after a while. So I went through that, went through that phase, and then on my 50th birthday, I st- I'd started playing a bit a bit more new house. I was thinking, oh, I can't keep doing this. I've got to play something new. On my 50th birthday, I started my Slips House podcast. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'd do it on my 50th birthday because then it can be the birthday of the podcast and the show and, if, and everything. Good time to do it. So from that point, I've, I've really started playing new stuff. Yeah. on a regular basis which which was what I wanted to do and it's just changed everything for me again so um, what's happened is over the past few years I've gradually started playing more and more new stuff getting more and more into the new, the new stuff and it it's happened naturally really playing out I'm like oh, I'm not going to play that I'm going to play a new, new track so why not even in the old school sets I've started playing a lot of newer mixes yeah. of the old tracks yeah. and then slipping in some some proper sort of new bits as well and, and it been actually surprised over over the last couple of years of of how people have reacted positively mm-hmm. towards it some of the old school people can be really sort of negative that whole vinyl thing oh, yeah i'm not playing vinyl, you know all that old rubbish and very sort of stuck in their ways yeah but actually playing out it's had um quite a positive reaction overall so now i'm playing pretty much all new stuff yeah, and, f- and slipping in a few old bits here and there. What I always found with the rave scene was I'd find a track that had sampled something, and I'd go back and find out where that sample came from. Yeah. If you're playing updates of older stuff now, people can dig back into those vaults and discover the originals. So yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, some of the new, some of the newer mixes are, are a bit shit or whatever. Yeah, um, but uh, for me, there's some really good, some really good sort of new mixes, and and it's just taken me now into into playing a lot more new stuff so since lockdown I've been doing my show every week on I was doing like a monthly show on Centre Force and now doing that every week yeah that's going down really well it's getting tons and tons of replays on Mixcloud and the podcast is going really well it's all got sort of going from strength to strength we spoke about it earlier I've been playing for Clockwork for yeah. for the last couple of years and that seems to be going well by, by March by middle of March this year I had around 100 gigs booked up for the year just yeah. for just for 2020 yeah and that's like um you know 10 weeks into the year yeah two yeah. gigs a week yeah. so, so my year was sorted yeah <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know but you know there's tons of stuff coming in so yeah. and that's pretty much pretty much all sort of house orientated stuff yeah it's working 
Good. Yeah, it's working, working, working for me, and absolutely loving the music. Yeah. You know, I've sat there re- recently and thought this is this is actually like going back to '86, '87, and and those early days. Thinking, oh, this, you know, this music. It's a bit like that for me, which is really, really nice. In terms really of what nice. passion and inspiration. Yeah, just really yeah. feeling it. Yeah, just really feeling it. Now, some of these producers must be like you know half my age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, really, really getting, really getting into it. It's funny what I listened to um, conversation with Tall Paul mm. the other day, and it's interesting what he said about um, some of the old music being fast. Yeah. And um, I picked up on that. I was like, yeah, and no, I thought exactly the same thing. And it, it's it's sort of a bit problematic in a way because some of the stuff, um, you know, some of the old trance tracks and that, yeah. they're like 140 BPM. Yeah. It just doesn't sound right anymore. No, and like I love listening to sets from all eras, but that almost mid to late 90s, like Paul, yeah. I think we're talking about Rock the House with Tall Paul. Yeah. Like, yeah, you put that on. And it's really fast, and it sounds. It sounds like a hard house yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, or you listen to a really... trance set, and you're kind of like, "This, I love all the tracks, but it just sounds like it's all pitched up too fast." I was trying to find some some um, trance tracks the other day just to do a, a bit on the radio, just, and it and it was too fast. <laughs> I was like, "I can't do it." Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll just try slowing them down, I suppose. But I don't know, yeah, there's that certainly that era, yeah, mm. late late nineties house, yeah, where it got up to about one forty, and it's like. Yeah. It's kind of technically not house. It's weird. So you've been part of this scene from the beginning. Obviously, we've kind of mentioned digital and ripping vinyl and things like that. What has changed the most over that period and what has stayed the same? Is it, in my mind, it would be the technology's changed yeah. and just the crowds and people have, in terms of vibe, has remained the same. What are your thoughts? Spot on, actually. Yeah. I think spot on, yeah. Technology's certainly changed. Do you I've prefer all... playing digitally now? Yeah, I do, yeah. I've always tried to not be sort of too upfront with everything, but I've embraced the changes as they've, as they've come along. So when when CD CDJs were, were sort of easy, <clears throat> when you can find them in most clubs... I changed over to CDJ because then I, I could rip all my tunes and then chop them up and edit them, yep. remaster them. <laughs> so there was always certain vinyls that you couldn't play them at every venue because most venues you'd go into in the 90s, the levels were full up. Yep. Everything was whacked up to maximum. And if you had a bit of a low vinyl, if it's really low, it just wouldn't work in some places. So yeah. so I could remaster everything and, and all that. So um, And then with the controller, I then put cue points along my tracks. Yep. And I could flick around the churns and and do all sorts of different stuff. I, I use record box now, just with USB. But same same with that. I, I grid everything. I use cue points. Every every track I get goes into the computer. It gets mastered if it needs to, which doesn't really these days. Yeah, everything's tagged, mixed in key, cue points, yeah. gridded, Bosch. Everything's all nice and tidy, and I love it. Absolutely love the new new technology yeah i've read that you've got a book coming out is this right or is this uh, or is this on the back burner <laughs> yeah well it shouldn't be you know what i in my I, I do notes for what i've got to do every week and it's, it's on my notes every week <laughs> and i do little tiny bits here and there yeah mm. I, i've been trying to write this book for about six years now yeah and i've got lots of stuff lots of notes of it i've started bits i've sort of almost got the first chapter done yeah it's just getting actually getting around to doing it and i actually, i thought oh, right with this lockdown thing okay not going to be going out much i'll get this book done and get get some re- music done yeah got one track done in four months <laughs> and that's with someone else yeah and i've probably done about two thousand words on the book it's like, yeah. oh, 
I mean, I think this whole lockdown thing, but at the beginning of lockdown, everyone was like, oh yeah, I could like learn a skill. I could learn a new language. You're going to have all this free time. Actually, it's not turned out like that at all. Just had, I Been don't know busier, what, but yeah. just not earned a penny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Nah, so uh, I've embraced the um, the online stuff. Mm. I'd never actually done a Facebook Live DJ set, and mm-hmm. it really wasn't my thing. It's yeah, like, oh, I don't. For me, it's like I don't see see the benefit in watching the DJ. Maybe that's because I'm a DJ myself. I don't know. Mm. I'm not really showman in that in that way. But that was the only way to do it. And people saying, "Oh, look, you know, come on." We, we want you to DJ and that's the only only way you can do it so yeah. I embraced that and I decided to um, to then just do as much as I can yeah it's not you know life isn't all about money certainly not at all it's about for me it's about giving a service to people and making yeah. people smile and dance and, and whatever the money's just it's just what happens it's just you know if you do a good job get more money yeah that's a great that's way it. to look so, at it yeah 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 so I just try and do a good job and if the money comes then then great yeah. There's a bit more to it than that, but but basically, it's not about it's not about the money at all. So it's about keeping out there in front of people, yeah, and putting smiles on people's faces. It's been so nice, all the messages coming back saying, "Oh, you know, you've you've been there for us over the last few months." I don't know what we would have done without you. I mean, it's probably a bit <laughs> over the top, but <laughs> no, it's been great. I've been, I've been, you know, no one can go out, so you yeah. know, it's been fantastic. You know, yourself and loads of other DJs have been doing it, and it's been great you know sometimes friday nights saturday nights you just have the pick of the best to choose from you know not long may it continue in terms of lockdown but in terms of do you think this is a new way of djs working with technology once lockdown ends or do you just see it as like actually these guys have got free time to do it when the lockdown finishes we're going to be back out there on the circuit yeah i think it's probably opened up um, something new for mm. people. I mean, even even now. So the the figures. The first one I did um, was for Moon Dance, mm-hmm. and it went up. <laughs> I looked at the Facebook page. And it went up to like seven thousand. It's like bloody hell. It, you know what I mean, that's seven thousand devices. Yeah. So there could be like yeah, could fifteen thousand be... people. There. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't normally go out on a Friday night and play to fifteen thousand people. That's like a once in a year sort of gig, you know. Yeah. So it's it's certainly opened something up, but the figures have come down mm. as as you know as people have got used to it. But yeah, I, I think I think the, the whole online thing. I think it will stay around, but. Um, you know, I can't wait to get back out, back out there gigging. Yeah. yeah. Do you see? It's, it's, it's not going to take over. I, th- I think a few people sort of commented and, and sort of said, "Oh, you know, maybe the gigs ain't going to happen anymore. It'll just all be online." That, 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 no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, people are itching to get back in a club. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. When it's safe as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, we'll talk about the playlist. Unless you've got yeah, yeah. anything else you want to um, get in there. With the whole DJing thing and the technology stuff and that, I've got my website, I've started my DJ hub, mm-hmm. which we're bringing together a community of DJs and just giving something back. I've teamed up with um, a friend of mine, Terry Hooligan from Atomic Hooligan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got his own academy called On The Rise, which he's had for ages and ages. He's an amazing tutor. I've teamed up with him to sort of pull in people. So I've, I've been doing, we've been doing webinars together and stuff. So I'm sort of giving my knowledge. He's giving his. We've got Mark Ecstasy as well, like Mark XTC mm-hmm. from um, from Manchester. He works at Manchester College, yeah, teaching music and DJing stuff. 
as well. So there's the three of us. Um, we're doing like weekly webinar as well as some podcasts yeah. and stuff as well. Not so much this sort of podcast, more on sort of technology and DJing and sort yeah. of more how-to stuff, you know, yeah. education. Uh, but that's that's quite interesting. Nice to give something back. Yeah. There, you know, I built up. I'm not necessarily a teacher myself, but I built built up 30 years of sort of experience and stuff. It's so nice to to give to give a bit back, and and the community seem seem to be loving it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, really good. Cool. Giving back. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try and talk about the playlist then. Obviously, we always ask our guests five tracks, five themes. We've got a massive this playlist on Spotify is huge now. Obviously, everyone oh, submitted right, yeah. like five tracks, so at least five tracks, and it's it's pretty big. Even to the point now, I'm having to say, I someone else has chosen that one. Do you want to change that up? Uh, but, any, um, um, all yours were all 100 percent really? fine. Oh, so right, good. that's great. The, we've, we've, uh, the night writers let the music use you has been chosen by a few people before, and I did right. think maybe you were going to choose that because the DJs take control. But no, in terms of catalyst we kind of already talked about it the first track that kind of got you into house music have you got any yeah. kind of personal experiences first time you heard it or memories of that tune specifically um it was just another tune that stuck out there was there was jack your body and at the same time movie body marshall mm. jefferson yeah um but jack your body i think i'm sure that got to number one actually i think in, it did in 87 yeah. I got, as i said i got it on import in in 86 so it's a bit up front there <laughs> <laughs> love it Got that on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just you know it was a standout track. It's just very different from from what had been around yeah. beforehand. But the energy in it as well. I still love playing it now, and I still yeah. play that mix um, that I gave you. I, I I thought it was a dub mix. It's come up as a club mix. I reckon they've changed that round. Okay. But yeah, it's just it's full of energy, and it's still. I don't play it loads, but when I do, it normally works. Yeah. To what to whatever crowd, whether it's a I'm playing new house or or old school, just one of them tunes, just energy. That's what it's all about. Yeah, um, and we kind of talked about floor filler as well. Edge one compounded. Yeah, compounded, so I yeah. It's, I mean, from when that came out, it's just like every time, mm. absolutely every, every time I used to play it right the way through '92 and beyond. It's just it just works. It's yeah. just it's just an amazing amazing track. It's not really a commercial sounding track. If it, if there was anything commercial about it, it probably would have got to number one. I I think. Yeah. Um. But for years and years and years, it's just one of them tracks that everyone would go mental to, and they they still do. Um, a sunsetter you've chosen. Yeah, I'm not I'm not um big on the sunset thing. I do like the chill out stuff. Mm. I've got got myself a couple of um chill out cds over the years and stuff but adagio yeah i love that yeah yeah i do love that i love the ferry colston mix and the tiesto mix as well actually yeah both both just must each other there's tons of good good ch- not tons but there's a few few good ones but i think i could sit and yeah sit and, um yeah clear the old cobwebs out of, out of mind for that one yeah. <laughs> um and a tearjerker go on you, you pronounce that so so re- <laughs> yes yeah, so it's a bit it's a bit of a different choice really yeah. So that's a, actually a brand new tune. So yeah. that's um, Moreno Pezzolato and Kevin McKay, yeah, Touch Me. So it's a brand new, brand new house tune. Yeah. But they've used um, an old vocal. Is it I'm not sure. 49ers, Touch Me? Oh, who I'm sure sampled it from somewhere it's, else. It's a, it's a very well-known old yeah. vocal. I can't think what, what it's actually from. But it's not a, tear, not a tearjerker, but there, there's something in what they've done with it. And like I say, it's brand new. Yeah. It just it actually touches me inside. It does something. 
they've just got something really really right in there really good yeah and it's sort yeah. of one of the tunes that at the moment it's just make me love the whole house thing yeah it's got a bit of an old school feel to, to it as well yeah I, I listened to it yeah. just before I came down and was like it's got some piano in yeah, it as well yeah. I was like yeah. this is good yeah <laughs> yeah it's great great track so yeah it's not you know tearjerkers on a different um, sort of genre sort of things like on a, a totally different types of music mm. favourite tracks things like Imagine John Lennon mm-hmm. was it Wonderful World yeah is it Louis Armstrong Louis Armstrong yeah, yeah a couple yeah. of real sort of oldies that are the, you know emotional tracks yeah. yeah I mean we've had all lyrics, sorts yeah. lyrics and stuff yeah. Yeah. Louis Armstrong and then Imagine is, is one of yeah. my favourites the, yeah. the lyrics and everything um, and a last tune crowd are asking for one more of course you play this oh, what did I choose for that one? <laughs> It's got to be. It's got to be the the most played last tune from for me. I think. Yeah. Um, but on a ragged tip, yeah. And still, he's still proud, surprised when you see that rock in a dance floor. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, surprised. I, I when we made it, I would never have thought it was it would be as as big and as popular. Yeah. As it is, especially this this you know this length of time after. Um, and we've actually got a, a new remix, so it, so we licensed it to to Virgin Media. Yeah. Part of the deal was they actually remixed it for us as well. So they said okay. we want to license your tune, and yeah. we, but we're going to remix it for the ad to, to sort of to fit the advert. Yeah. Which was really cool, and and we were sort of quite not nervous, but quite sort of you know, oh, what's this mix going to be like? Are we going to like it because yeah. it's our tune? Obviously, we don't want it shit mix going all over the telly. I don't think we would turn the money down, but <laughs> but I, f- I think the mix is wicked. Yeah, I, absolutely. We both we were absolutely blown away. Yeah, absolutely blown away with it. Really, really good. So I've been playing the the, the remix out now. Awesome as well. Last yeah. tune as well. <laughs> Done. Not every set, but but <laughs> if if the crowd's sort of slightly ravey, if the crowd's a bit ravey, they expect me to play it anyway. Yeah. So it's always nice to nice to do that. Cool and. Um, the final question we always ask is we're house culture you've been a part of the scene the culture of this whole movement since the beginning what are your feelings on it as a whole and what it's brought you in your in your life and your career when you look back on it as a whole it brings everyone together i think house music you know the slogans it's a spiritual thing it's a you know and all that sort of stuff it really really is i think even more so now yeah it just brings people together and i think we need need that more than ever at the moment with people dividing up into groups I really really don't like that Yeah, let house music bring us all together again as one we don't need to be different we don't need to be labelled as different or anything at all and everyone's the same under one roof aren't they when they're all on the dance floor yeah why why should we segregate as as offers as different types of people We're, we're not we're all one and especially with house music perfect Yeah, let's end there it's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> nice one thank cool. you so much that's great cool. House Culture. Thank you, Slipmat. What a humble guy, right? I want to personally thank him for taking the time out of his schedule for the interview and for inviting me into his home studio to record it. I also apologise for me geeking out and fanboying him a couple of times in that interview. But as you heard, the guy basically taught me how to mix with me studying his tapes from a young age. So it's a real honour to meet one of my actual real-life heroes. In terms of the stuff we chatted about, 
The second edition of Remastered Sets he mentioned will be coming out on a USB at some point in early December, so keep an eye out for that. Also, don't forget to tune in to his amazing Slips House podcast, which you can listen to on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you want to add some more sick beats to those recommendations, you can find all of the tracks that Slipmap picked for our perfect playlist on Spotify. These were Steve Silk Hurley's Jack Your Body for The Catalyst, the anthem that is Edge One's Compounded for his floor filler, the beautiful Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber for his Sunsetter, the tearjerker was the Lorenzo Spano and the Rituals remix of Touch Me by Moreno Pazzolato and Kevin McKay, and his last tune was, of course, his own On a Ragga Tip by SL2. Just open up your player, search for House Culture Perfect Playlist, and you'll be presented with a plethora of tunes that feature sounds from every corner of this thing we call house, all chosen by our podcast guests, past and present. Once you've followed the Perfect Playlist on Spotify, please support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing, by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple. This is really important and will help us continue to create these episodes that we hope you love listening to. And it could also get you a shout out on a future one as well. This time, the lucky shout goes out to Michael Hooker, who told me via Instagram that, being from the UK but currently based in the US, this podcast is a great way to highlight to people how much house music culture is ingrained into the UK culture. Well, thanks for the kind words, Michael, and hopefully some of our upcoming guests will help you to continue to spread the word amongst your US pals. But I can't say any more than that at the moment. Other than that, we have some huge guests that are going to round out this second season at the end of the year. Watch this space. And if you want to be like Mike and get in touch, you can do that by hitting up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. This way you'll be kept connected to other house music lovers from across the world. And finally, if you want to reach out to me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and see you next time. House Culture Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.